All right, if you want to take your Bibles, please, tonight and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4 as we'll be spending our time. 2 Timothy chapter 4, uh, starting in verse number 6, it looks like, is where we're going to be. So um, one of our students approached me this morning and uh, wanted to talk with me just for a minute. So we sat down together, and he said he was kind of sad, and I said, so what's going on? And uh, he said, well, last Sunday night I went to another church, and I saw this movie. I said, yeah. And uh, he said, and it's the movie of Sarah, and I do not remember her last name, one of the students that was killed in Columbine, uh, out in Colorado. And um, he said, you know, it's really sad that she died, and, but it's a story of her life. And he goes, you know, I really, I'm really sad. What do you think I'll do? And I said, well, you know, I think if these kind of movies affect you that way, maybe you don't need to go see them. But remember, it's a great story. It's a wonderful story. It's a great truth about God. And uh, then you need to ask God to help your heart to grasp that and understand it. Because often we see sacrifice like that as, as really a sad story. Um, back in, I think it was 1950s, early 1950s, when Jim Elliott was killed on a, a beach, a river beach in Ecuador, you know, him and, and three others. And, uh, you know, the world just saw that as a great tragedy. And he's the guy who said he is no fool to give up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And uh, he would tell you today from heaven that his, even though it was like 25 years old, 26 years old, it was no loss. It was no loss because it advanced the kingdom of God. We got a very graphic picture over in Central Asia, um, you know, when this couple was forced to leave their country because they had chosen um, under Matt's ministry to be a, you know, to be a believer. And uh, they had been threatened with their life finally, and they became refugees. They were forced to leave the country to save their own lives. And uh, we, we told you, and we, Wednesday night we prayed about the gathering that, that Matt was going to have and he invited 18, I think, believers and four lost people. And only one showed up. Only one showed up. And you say, what is up with that? What's up with that is because over there, you lose your head or your life for being a Christian. And we can't grasp that. And I asked the question Wednesday night, and I said, so what if someone threatened you to kill you? What if there's a 90% chance that you're going to die if you came to church tonight? Most of us would have stayed home. Most of us would have stayed home. But that's the reality of the world we live in, but it's also the reality of the gospel. And what we see in 2, or 2 Timothy chapter 4 is also could be considered a certainly a melancholy story um, and probably could be determined by some to be a sad story. And in some degree, it really is. What we see in 2 Timothy 4 are Paul's final uh, writings to Timothy and probably the final days, weeks, months of his life on this earth. And contained in this are some wonderful, wonderful truths that we need to grab a hold of. You know, right now, if I'm guessing right now, the Super Bowl is about the end of the first quarter, somewhere in there. They just kicked off when I was down there about 35, 40 minutes ago. They might be in the second quarter. But the bottom line is this. The quarter that's going to matter is the fourth quarter. The quarter that's going to matter is the fourth quarter. Um, I, was, I was kind of disappointed. You know, I, I even used this illustration one time. You know, there became a tradition in football where the players would hold up their forefingers and they'd even do like this. And the symbolism being that um, it's the fourth quarter. It's the fourth quarter that matters. And sometimes it would mean that the fourth quarter is ours. We own the fourth quarter. And the reason I was disappointed was I thought the Dallas Cowboys came up with it, which I'm not a big Dallas Cowboys fan, but it turns out Alabama's came in credit for that too. You know, Alabama came to credit for everything. So apparently over, under Bear Bryant, 
years ago, he came up with that four-finger thing. I don't know. But anyway, we'll give Alabama the credit for it. But my point is this. As I look around this congregation tonight, many of us, well, first off, almost every person in this room is over halftime. Some of you would say you're in the third quarter of your life, but a lot of you are in your fourth quarter of your life. And my question tonight is, how are we going to finish? How are we going to finish? Because again, the team that, in, that is leading at the end of the fourth quarter wins. I don't care if the other team was leading the entire rest of the game. Whoever is winning at the end of the fourth quarter wins the Super Bowl. And while it is important that we live a godly good life, it's also vitally important that we finish well. And often, that's the hardest because our bodies hurt. We're sometimes discouraged. We have a tendency to grow melancholy because we're going near the end of our days and we think about leaving grandchildren and great-grandchildren and children behind. Sometimes they're melancholy because we look back on our life and there's more regrets than there is success. So it's really important that we finish well. And that's what Timothy talks about. It's great if we play the game of life and do wonderful. But if in the end we fail, then we failed. People don't remember what you did when you were 20. They remember what you did right before the day you died. Amen? So let's go through this verse by verse, and let's look at what Paul writes in the final days of his life. And it's really, it starts out very dramatic. He says in verse number, um, verse number six, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering. In other words, um, how many of you, uh, now this really may be melancholy, and I don't mean for it to be, and I don't want to bring up any unpleasant memories, but if you've ever had a loved one who was in the, in the process of dying, and they get the death rattle, and, and, and the hospice comes in, they say, okay, we've seen, based on what we see, we've seen this before, and your loved one has anywhere from 12 to 24 hours. We just saw this with Matt's grandmother down there. Hospice nurse came in and said 12 to 24 hours, and it was 12 to 24 hours. They were in the process of dying. And what Paul is saying, already I'm being poured out. He said the death process has already begun. And it's not death process like we think of it as cancer. It's the death process of being a martyr for the kingdom of God. You know, when you take a drink offering and you pour it out, you, you give, it gives up the purpose for which it was designed for a greater purpose. It gives up the purpose. When you have a drink offering, and let's say it's wine, often that was, that was the, the sacrifice, and they would take that wine, and what's wine really made for? Come on, you can say it, Baptist. It's made to drink. It's made to drink. I'm sorry, but that's the honest truth. It's made to drink. And they would take that wine that was made to drink, and they poured out on the ground before the Lord. And the wine gave up one purpose, to be drank, for a greater purpose, a sacrifice for God. And when Paul's saying he's being poured out as a drink offering, he is saying, I'm giving up my life for one purpose, for a greater purpose, and that is the kingdom of God. And there is no greater calling than we're willing to give all that we are for the kingdom of God. It's not just true for the Matt and Bethany's in this world, and it's not true just for preachers, and it's just not true for deacons. It is true for every one of us who have experienced the amazing grace of God, who have been touched by His wonderful love and forgiveness. 
all of us are called to allow ourselves to be poured out to let the death process begin for the glory and the kingdom of God. In this case, he was looking back on his, his Jewish roots, okay, and this, this, this wine, this wine that would be poured out, the sacrifice that would be poured out, complemented or, or symbolized the blood that was going to be shed. And I want you to understand the, the gravity of this, that Paul knows, Paul's not guessing, Paul's not thinking, he knows that before long he's going to give himself up to the executioner's sword. He's going to lose his head for the gospel. He knows this. I'm already, the death process has already begun. And the time of my departure is at hand. Now, if you read the book of Acts, John, you, you know in the book of Acts, time and time and time again, you know, Paul was delivered. So was Peter. So was John. So many of these great men of God were delivered. This time, he's not going to be delivered He's going to die. You know, I, 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 y'all would think that I stay on Facebook all the time, and I honestly don't. I wish two people happy birthday today, and that's all I do. But my wife showed me this, and I probably can't get it out exactly right, but it's really good. Someone made a little cutesy thing on Facebook that said, it will come to pass, but sometimes it passes like a kidney stone. <laughs> if you've ever had a kidney stone, you can identify with that. Well, let me tell you something. You know, as, as Paul says, I'm going to drink off from being poured out in the time my departure is at hand. He's going to heaven, but it's not going to be easy. It's going to be at the blood, at the hand of an executioner, and he's going to shed his blood. I want you to see one thing, though. There are two words there that I think are very significant. You might want to circle in your Bible. The time of my departure. The time of my departure. If we believe the word of God, Paul's departure was not determined by Rome. It was determined by God. Let that soak in. Paul's departure was not determined by Rome. It was determined by God. Psalm 139.16 clearly says that, that while I was still in the womb, my days were numbered and every day was planned before one of them was lived. So God's got this. If you're saying, I'm worried about, I'm going to be like you and start coughing. <coughs> so, oh no, there's cooties up here. It's David cooties. <laughs> that really interrupted the message, didn't it? Especially something serious like this. So if you worry and you're concerned, what about, what about, what about? If you believe Psalm 139.16, you have the blessed assurance that God's in control of your life and your departure. Your life and departure, not circumstances or not anything else. So he goes on and says, verse 7, that verse that, that was so powerful. He says, I have fought the good fight. And it's, and it's easy to think he's talking about a military battle. And of course, he's not. He's talking about the Super Bowl. He's talking about athletics. You know, just like athletics consume America, so it was in Paul's day. The same battle we fight with, with the god of athletics, they fought in Rome. And he's using that analogy saying, when he says he fought the good fight, he goes, I have fought this contest. And if it was football, he says, I played hard the first quarter. I played hard the second quarter. I played hard the third quarter. And by God's grace, I will finish well in the fourth quarter. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. In other words, he saw his life as a race. And he said, from the time I trusted Jesus Christ as Savior until the time when the executioner's sword comes down on the back of my neck, I'm going to run this race well. 
I'm going to run my life as Jesus Christ would want me to run my race. And then he says, I have kept the faith. That can mean two things. One, he stayed the course. We're going to hear about a guy who did not. We're going to hear about a guy who did not. But Paul would say, I kept the faith. I stayed the course. I did not waver. And some people think that he's talking about the guarding of the gospel. He kept the gospel guarded. Either way works. Either one is true. Whether he's talking about his life, living his life, or whether he's talking about guarding the gospel, either one, Paul kept the faith. And then he says, finally, finally, henceforth, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness. Well, what is the crown of righteousness? Well, again, there are two interpretations. Um, some people believe that, that the, the crown is a literal crown awarded to those who, who, who obey God and, have, and live out a righteous, practical life. That there's a, a reward for those who live righteously in this world. The, the other side of the coin is, and by the way, that's a great interpretation. A great interpretation. But the others is, is that when Jesus Christ comes in that process of I was saved, I'm being saved, I am saved, whether it be salvation, sanctification, or glorification, whatever it might be, that when Christ comes, our righteousness is completed in an eternal way. All I can tell you is this, it's a glorious thing. It's a glorious thing. He says, there will be this crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, which, by the way, insert, is the only one that matters. I'm learning something. Honestly, it doesn't matter what you think of my ministry. But it matters a lot what God thinks about my ministry. And the voice of the one should always supersede the voice, perhaps, of the many. And so Paul says, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me, and not to me only, but to all those who have loved his appearing. So, so Paul says, the time is departures at hand. A time dictated not by Rome, but by God. And he had, he had fought this good fight. He had finished the race. He had kept the faith. And there's this crown of righteousness laying before him. Then in verse number 9, the mood kind of shifts. Here's what he says. Be diligent to come to me quickly. Be diligent to come to me quickly. Now, you can probably guess why he's saying that. He's saying that because he wants to see Timothy one more time. He wants to see Timothy, his son in the ministry, one more time. Come on, come on, come on. You've had loved ones. Would you, would you make sure Joe gets here? Would you make sure John gets here? And we do all we can to make sure the family gets in. The doctors will say, when they sense that death is clear, they'll say, if you want to see, I got the call. What am I saying? I got the call in Germany. The call was from the Red Cross, and the message was this. If you want to see your mother alive, you need to come now. If you want to see your mother alive, come now. I got that call in the middle of the night in Germany, and we took a military cargo plane back to America and got here the day before she died. Well, that's what Paul is saying. Be diligent. Do everything you can to come to me quickly because the days are limited. The time is limited. And Timothy, I want to see you one more time. But there's also an, another urgency. And it starts in verse number 10. For Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, and he's departed to Thessalonica. Demas has forsaken me. We're fixing to go into a part of this book that, that, that Paul is very transplanted. Plant, transplanted. And what he's saying is this. 
Demas was an associate. Uh, Demas was a co-worker. Demas was a trusted friend. And the Bible says, Paul says, that Demas, this trusted friend, forsook him. Let me give you a different word that will help you a little better. He deserted him. Now, you're going to hear in just a moment, Paul's lonely. Paul's lonely. But there's, you, can be a, you can be lonely and not be too bad, but when, when that loneliness includes betrayal of a friend, it gets deep fast. And Paul, knowing his days are limited, says, this trusted associate has deserted me. He's forsaken me. Anyone ever had that happen? Someone you trusted betrayed you? Betrayal is just part of it. He felt betrayed and deserted by Demas. And, and look at the reason. He's, he loved this present world and left for Thessalonica. You know, I, I read one of the commentaries, and, and here's what it said. It said, you know, it says, this most likely, now listen, 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 listen. This was not most likely not a total denial of Jesus. It's not like so often the false teachers, it's not like Demas said, I've gone off the deep end. I don't believe Jesus was virgin born. I don't believe he really died. I don't think he really raised it. It wasn't that. Apparently Demas quit. He just quit. He may have, he may, he may have saw Paul's fate and said, if that's Paul's fate, that could be my fate, and that's not worth it. It could be. Most likely was. And Demas quit. And that wounded because of the relationship that Paul had with Demas, the wound was deep. He goes on and says, Cretans for Galatia and Titus for Dalmatia. The life went on. Even when we're hurting, when, when, when our life's about to end, when, when we feel like we're about to drown, when it feels like we're about to go under, and life goes on. People still go to work. You call a friend to see if they got time to talk to you. I'm sorry they're not home. He's at work today. Life goes on. And that's what Paul experienced. Goes on and says, only Luke, only faithful Dr. Luke is with me. Aren't you glad for the Lukes in your life? Aren't you glad that there's a friend? There's one Jesus, but aren't you glad there's a friend? There are friends that stick closer than a brother. That you know that no matter what happens, they'll be your friend. They may not approve of what you did, but they'll always be your friend. If you've got a Luke in your life, you need to thank God every day for that. Only Luke is with me. And then, oh, it gets better. Then, then get Mark. <laughs> Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for the ministry. And you probably know the story. This is John Mark. And John Mark, guess what John Mark did? He did the same thing Demas did. He quit. He was with Paul and Barnabas on a mission trip. I don't know if he got scared or what. He turns around and goes back. He quits. And later on, Barnabas says, hey, let's go on another journey. Yay, let's go on a journey. Let's take John Mark with us. And Paul said, ain't no way. He quit on me once. I'm not going to give him chance number two. And the contention was so great, they split up and went different ways. And Paul's new partner was Silas. And then we see this. And this man, limited in his hours in a Roman prison, says, oh, by the way, get John Mark. Isn't that beautiful? 
This young man he lost faith in, he forgives. He extends grace. He loves. I think sometimes the dying process, if we allow it, makes us a little more graceful. Because the things we think that mattered, don't. Don't. So bring John Mark. He's useful to me for the ministry. And then he adds Antiochus. Antiochus was just a wonderful servant of God that Paul leaned on. And Antiochus, I've sent to Ephesus. And then it gets more practical. You can almost, and notice the things, what matters? What matters when the days are limited? What matters when the death process has begun? The new cars don't anymore, do they? The latest technology no longer holds an appeal. None of that stuff matters. Paul says, you know what Paul says? Bring the cloak that I left in Carpus at Troas. Bring the coat. The cloak would have been made of wool. And this, again, we're going to see, he says come before winter, so it's probably in the fallish time of the year. And Paul is old. His body is old. His body's probably older than he is. And he's in a, a damp Roman prison. You know what he says very practically? Bring my coat. I'm cold. I'm cold. How practical. How real. How real. How authentic. How authentic. Bring the cloak. And then he says, and bring the books, especially the parchments. Now, I don't know. I need to be honest and tell you I don't know. Um, But I was taught a long time ago by a preacher, and I sure liked it, and it kind of verifies, I think, out in Scriptures. What is the difference between the books and the parchments? The books and the parchments. One thing we pretty well know for sure is that the books, whatever writings they were, were probably on, on papyrus paper, okay? But the parchments were normally written on vellum, and vellum was a, a, a material made from calf skin, and it was very, very, very valuable. And normally, whatever was written on that was very, very, very important. And that old pastor a long time ago said, you know, probably the books were other writings, certainly could be from the Old Testament writings, maybe scriptural, maybe just letters he had, but the parchments were the scriptures most likely. Paul valued the Word of God. And I love it when he says, bring the books, but especially, especially the parchment. Isn't it wonderful how the Word of God becomes more precious the closer we get to the dying process? Isn't it amazing when the doctor says the C word and the T word terminal together, all of a sudden, often the word of God becomes more precious than ever before. I told them at Connie Dowdy's funeral, I said, you know, heaven is always precious, but when someone you dearly love goes there, heaven's just a little more precious. It just is. And Paul says, I want that coat so I can be warm. And those books, whatever writings they were, but those parchments, whatever it was. And again, for Paul to own something valuable like that, I almost have to believe it probably was the Scriptures. And especially bring those. And then he shifts gears totally. And you just see, he's almost just writing down thoughts as they come to him. He says, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. Paul had an enemy. You have any enemies? Paul had one. Did him much harm. Some think that this is the person that Paul said he turned him over to Satan so he'd learn not to blaspheme the Lord. 
Alexander the coppersmith was probably a believer who went wild, went way off the end, being a heretic. And you can argue whether he was truly saved or not. That's not the point. The point was he became an enemy of Paul. So I'm going to give you something that's good if you learn it now rather than later. What do you do with your enemies? You know, Jesus said love them. And that's exactly right. But Dwayne, I need my pound of flesh. This person really hurt me and I want my pound of flesh. Well, in Romans 12, 19, Paul says, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. So what did Paul do with Alexander the coppersmith? May the Lord repay him according to his works. He left it to God. I just need to tell you, you don't need to die with a bunch of bitterness in your heart. And I would suppose it's safe to say that, that Paul had forgiven Alexander the coppersmith because I think he realized he needed to. It's the right thing to do. And then he turned it over to God and said, God, you take care of it. And that's a good thing to know. But it shouldn't be just when we're dying. It should be all the time. It's good for the fourth quarter, but it's good for the second quarter too. Well, some practical common sense. You also must be aware of him, for he has greatly resisted our words. Paul says, now listen, you need to be careful. In his wonderful old age, Paul's still mentoring. He's still saying, now be careful of the coppersmiths in your life. Be careful of the Alexanders in your life. Leave them to God, but you need to be aware. Don't be foolish. Don't be naive. Be careful. And then the hardest. I think it's the hardest. At my first offense... When my pre-trial was going on, when they first drug me into court at my pre-trial, no one stood with me, not even Dr. Luke, only because Dr. Luke hadn't probably arrived. Does this ring a bell? Does this sound like Jesus? Remember how the disciples all fled? Peter sat in the court and outside, the rest of them fled like sheep when sheep lose their shepherd. Paul says, at my first offense, no one stood with me. They all forsook me. You reckon that would be hurtful? Don, would that be hurtful? Yeah, yeah, it would be. It would be. May it not be charged against them. Wow, how about that? May it not be held against them. Does that like Jesus? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Stephen being stoned. Father, don't lay this sin at their feet. And Paul says, may not be charged against them. But you want to see something even better than that? It's not even the point. He didn't, he didn't tell us verse 16 to whine. He didn't, he didn't give us verse 16 to go, whine, 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 whine. You know, I was in trial and no one stood with me. Where were my friends when I needed them? They all forsook me. That was not the point at all. Verse 17 proves that. They may not have been there, but the one who matters was there. This is so good. But the Lord stood with me. When you are all alone, you think, 
When, when your family is not there, when your friends are not there, when your spouse is not there, don't forget Jesus is there, is there. And no matter how difficult the, the outgoing process, the process of death, no matter how, here, let's just bring it home, no matter how difficult your fourth quarter is because your health is bad, you know, your circumstances are bad, you don't even like the way the world looks now. It's just awful easy to get angry and bitter about it. Don't forget, Jesus ain't left you. Jesus ain't left you. And guess what? Excuse my grammar, ain't gonna. He's just not going to. He will be there. He will be there. The Lord stood with me and He strengthened me. This is just... I, I don't have the guts that Paul's got. Because look, look what it says. Okay, the Lord stood with me. He strengthened me. Now, that's not so I will feel better. That's not so Paul would go to his pity party if he was having one. It's for a purpose. So that the message might be preached fully through me. And that all the Gentiles might hear. Now, that is well probably speaking about his life as a Christian, as a follower of Christ. But there's no doubt it's speaking about right now. God was there to comfort him and strengthen him so that the Gentiles might hear. Well, what Gentiles did he have? He had the ear of Roman guards. He had the ear of the imperial Roman court. This, this little, I don't know why everybody thinks he's little, but they always do. This little, broken, humble Jew had the ear of the Roman imperial court, and God strengthened him to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Ain't God good? Ain't God good? He may not give you a fourth quarter in Florida on a beach collecting seashells, but if you will trust him with your life, he will give you a great fourth quarter and usher you into heaven, and you'll spend eternity with him with that crown of righteousness. You can have a good fourth quarter. Amen. That's just the truth. He says also in verse 17, I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. Big debate. One, it could be Nero. Nero was actively persecuting Christians at this time. It could be Satan. They're pretty close. <laughs> They're pretty close. But, but the Lord delivered him out of these two. But not this time. Not this time. He says, and the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me. God will deliver him for his heavenly kingdom. This time, deliverance don't mean getting out of jail. It means getting off the earth. This time, it doesn't mean getting out of jail. It means getting off the earth. But God, Paul was so wise... He still understood it as God's deliverance. You know, we've, we're learning to say it and actually mean it. Sometimes God heals us through a doctor and medicine. Sometimes He heals us with a dramatic miracle. And sometimes God heals us with death. But each one is still a dramatic healing by God. In this case, Paul's going to be delivered right into the arms of of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And then it ends with this. That's where we're going. Well, I'm going to give you one more tidbit. He says, To Him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, can you get, are you getting the picture of, uh, I'm going to die, I'm being poured out, come quickly, all these things, and this man of God can still say, To Him be glory forever and ever. Amen. I, I would suppose that, that one of the greatest things that we should want to be able to say in our fourth quarter, particularly near the end, is to Him be glory forever and ever. Amen. I, I came up one time, and by the way, it's pretty good because this is 10 years ago probably, maybe a little bit more than that. And one day I was sitting and I thought this up. I said, Lord, may the last word said about me be about you. Never forgot that. Never forgot that. And I suppose that's my wish. It's my prayer. God, may not be about me, may it be about you. And one more little statement that, that Chuck Swindoll wrote a whole book about. Verse 21. Do your utmost to come before winter. Do your utmost to come before winter. And you know why, don't you? He was going home. If you want to see Paul, you better come quickly because he's going home. He's going home. Let's pray together. Well, Father, I do really thank you for the privilege of teaching some of this tonight, and I really want you to ask you to uh, burn it into my heart, get it into my heart. Father, I pray that we'll never see these verses the same again. God, again, as I look across here and I see the folks, with the very few exceptions, most everyone here is past the halftime. Some are in the third quarter. But a whole lot of us are in the fourth quarter of our lives. And God, I want to pray in Jesus' name that we will finish well. That we'll be a bright light shining for your kingdom. That our children and our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren will remember us for Jesus' sake. They'll remember us for how we knew Jesus and showed Jesus. Father, may our lives not be filled with regrets, but the wonderful stories of your continued rescue in our lives. So I pray for that. And I'm glad, God, one day when our time has come, and by the way, it is, we have determined, we believe Jesus, that's determined by you and not by anything else. When our time comes, we'll fall safely into the everlasting arms of our Savior, our Lord, our great shepherd. And Jesus, I pray this in your glorious, your precious, your beautiful name. Amen. Amen.